All right, glad you're here with us this morning. Today is a good day. Attendance is coming back from COVID. I was with a bunch of preachers yesterday, and some of them had good things to say, and some of them said, wow, our numbers aren't back, and things are really rough. Well, let me tell you, things are good here. And I am so glad that you're here, so glad you're a part of this congregation. Or if you're visiting, we would love for you to become a part of this church. This is a great place to be. Before we begin today, I want to tell you a story about this rock. This rock is in our house, and many of you have been to our house. And if you walk into the entryway, we have this, this shelf. And on that shelf are several things, but one thing is this rock. It's a piece of granite. And it doesn't seem like a whole lot, and it's really not. Its value would probably be nothing. I mean, literally nothing. Except to Barbara and me, it's worth a whole lot. And so sometimes people will come in and they'll say, well, look at that rock. What is that rock? Why do you have that? What, is it, what does it mean? Is it worth something? And I'll say, well, yeah. And I'll say, well, you know, we were missionaries in Brazil, and if you have been a member here, you have to hear that like every week, right? And so we were missionaries in Brazil, and we worked there for seven years, and we loved it, and those people had our hearts, and part of what we did, we planted a church there, and, and, and we knew we needed to buy land, and we did, and we had a, built a church building, and it was really our job, my job, to raise money for that, and, and sometimes times were good in that, and sometimes they were rough, and, and I lost a lot of hair because I didn't have enough faith sometimes during that time and to get nervous, and, but it all happened. And on that piece of land, there is basically the back of it is all rock, and then underneath the soil that's not very deep is, is just granite rock. That's all it is. And so the building is built on that rock. Lots of sermon illustration there. But I said, this is a piece of that rock. And so it reminds us and reminds me, when I see that, I pray for that congregation and for those Christians that are there. Well, I know that it is a place that most of you will never get to go to. I realize that. And I also realize you will never have the same relationship with the folks we had there. And some of them, even if you went, you wouldn't meet because they've passed away in, that, in those years. But it makes me feel closer to you to tell you that story, and I hope it makes you feel closer to me to know my story. Next Sunday, we are having our International Fellowship Day, our Hospitality Day. And some of you still are going, well, like, what is that? We're going to have a big lunch right after our second service, and we have folks in this congregation from 29 nations, and we want, we want them to, where there'll be tables there, and many are already preparing this, to have tables maybe of things that are important from their cultures, and some of them, I hope, will have some little food we can try, and that's not the meal, the meal is being catered, but a way for us to know each other. The purpose of that is that they will feel good. Those of you who are international will get to share some things that are important to you, but we also, those of us who are just born and raised here, that we will also feel closer to you because we want this congregation to be close. We want to share together. We want to truly be the family that God has called us to be. So I hope you'll be a part of that. So this morning, we're changing gears here quickly. We are continuing on talking about becoming, specifically becoming in the desert. And today we're talking about Jesus and the tempter, about Jesus 
and the devil. We have moved quickly from Moses all the way to here. If I were to, I, I realized I could do like four years on Moses and we would just stay there. So I moved us on up to Jesus here for a little bit. And so this is somewhat of a well-known story for many people, although it may be the first time you've heard this today. Jesus had just had this amazing experience. I mean, incredible. He had gone down to the Jordan River. There was John. John was baptizing. Jesus goes up to John, and he says, I need you to baptize me. And you may remember that John had already said, Behold, the Lamb of God. I mean, he sees him. He realizes Jesus is something amazing. And Jesus said, I need you to baptize me. And John is like, You know, I'm not even fit to to untie your sandals. I mean, I should not be the guy to baptize you. Jesus uses a phrase that we'll talk about on another day. Yes, this is to fulfill all righteousness. You need to do that. And so Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. What an incredible thing that would have been to see. And then all at once, here is this dove coming from the sky and this voice that you've heard the scripture that Matthew read today, that this is my son whom I love. Wow. What a moment that would be. That is, even though they're down in a river, that is like a mountaintop experience. That relationship that just was confirmed again. Some of you, not all of us, but some of you have had that kind of experience with with a dad or with a mom or maybe with a good friend or with someone else that you loved or trusted. Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, are having that kind of moment. And everyone there sees that. How incredible all of that would have been. That is the end of Mark chapter th- or Matthew chapter 3. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That, incidentally, is from the book of Deuteronomy. So you can see this idea. He is out there in the middle of the wilderness. He's in the desert. He's been out there for a while. And on paper, this seems like to Satan that he has a great opportunity to get Jesus. I mean, whenever you take the game plan and you think the quarterback is hurt, this will be our chance to win this game. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. It was not in the case of Jesus and the devil. So he sees this as this great opportunity. And I can only imagine the loneliness a person could have and the isolation. I don't know if Jesus felt lonely or not. I can tell you I'm the kind of person that about I like to have some solitude and then after about 15 minutes I'm ready to talk to someone again. And so I don't know if this is the way Jesus is, but what I can tell you, he is out there isolated from everybody. He's all out there and Satan goes, well, maybe I can just look like I'm a friend, I'm a companion, I can just come up to the side of him. After all, he's not talking to anyone else, right? And the Bible says that he was hungry, he had had no food for 40 days. The great understatement of the New Testament is, he did not eat for 40 days and he was hungry. Do you think? After, I, once again, 45 minutes and David was hungry. That's what the Bible would say. 
And so here he is out here in the middle of the desert and he hasn't eaten. He's by himself. He's isolated. And Satan says, this is it. But the devil mistakenly thought that he was in charge of that event. The devil mistakenly thinks that he is going to be able to lead Jesus around any way he wants him. And he goes for what seems to be the most simple. After all, he hasn't eaten. I'll tempt him with some food and that'll do it. But you saw the scripture in the beginning. I tried to stop there in verse 1. The Spirit led Jesus. It was not the devil leading Jesus. It was the Spirit leading Jesus. That's powerful and important to know. I think you know this if you stop and think about it, that growth can happen even in the desert. Some of us right now are in the midst of a desert. There's no reason to, to pretend. We've been in this series since early in the, in the year, and I hear every week from new folks that are telling me about deserts that they're in. I know that we're in deserts. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's with relationships. Sometimes it's just we feel far from God. Sometimes we've lost loved ones. Uh, numerous things can come up that make us feel this difficulty in our lives so i know we feel some of these things but even in even in the desert we can grow now let me give you a silly example years ago before cell phones i was i had a car a plymouth horizon if you don't know what that is you don't need to waste your time knowing they're they're gone Oddly, I had three of them. That's the strangest part of all, in three different colors, and at different times. Oh, another day. But anyway, I'm, I didn't grow up with a dad that, that did a lot around the house, and I didn't know how to do things. I did know I'd watched how to change a tire before. There was no YouTube to go to or anything like that. And so I'm in my car driving somewhere. I'm on I-35 somewhere between the Oklahoma border and the Kansas border, and that is, scientists have proven this, I've read it, that that part of the country is literally flatter than a pancake. That's where I'm at. Like the old commercial said, I could see Okinawa from there. And so there I am, and I have the flat tire, and I get out and I look at the car. Of course, no cell phone. What am I going to do? I can wait around, you know, for a highway patrolman or a wrecker or whatever. I got to figure this out. And so I think, you know what, I know, I, I know there's a spare back there because I at least knew that, and I'll get in the trunk, and there's the spare tire, and I get it out. And I know they're called lug nuts, and so I figure this thing out. i got to get the lug nuts off, and i got to get the tire on. And there on the side of the road, I-35, with those 18 wheelers full of chickens going by me, left and right, left and, or right and left, no, they were going north and south is what they are doing. Please change lanes, because I don't think a single one of them did while I was there that day. And so I finally get the tire changed. Well, you know, and I got on to Wichita, I got, the, I got a new tire, I got them, got them rotated, all the things I needed to do. But you know what happened that day? I learned how to change a tire. In the middle of what felt like a desert, I learned how to do something. And then I felt pretty good about myself. The next time I had a flat tire, I was like, you know what, I can do that. And I could do it. I learned how to learn something in the middle of what seemed like a desperate situation. Now, some of us, we are dealing with really desperate things. You may be in the midst of, of a divorce right now. You may be in a situation with one of your children or with one of your parents. You may be in a situation going, oh, this is, this is rough. 
But there is growth that can come even there. And so now here Jesus is in the midst of this desert led by the Spirit. And Jesus is is showing his strength and being reminded of his strength. And the devil says, I like the way the devil says it, if you are the Son of God. You know, this is a great tactic. He does not say, you're not the Son of God. Well, first of all, he knows he's the Son of God, but he doesn't say, you're not the Son of God. That will produce an argument, right? And they'll go back and forth. But instead, he puts it this way. If you are the Son of God, then turn these rocks in, into bread, and then you can eat. You know, what's he going to make? I don't, I've always wondered about that. Would it be like unleavened bread Jesus would make? Or maybe if he has kind of a Cajun thing, you know, it could be beignets. I don't know what he would do. But just make it into bread. Just eat it. Enjoy. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do that. God had confirmed that he was the Son of God just before the desert. That was the high point. Now, here he is in this place away from everyone. It had been less than two months earlier. A month and a half earlier, he had confirmed that he was the Son of God through that voice. You remember, it's chapter 3, verse 17, where the Bible says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. uh, love. Uh, With him I am well pleased. That had been confirmed already. So, so the devil, he's trying, right, to get Jesus somehow. We want Jesus to give in. It, it's not wrong for Jesus, I guess, to make, to make bread out of those rocks. What's wrong is who told him to make bread out of those rocks. What's wrong is the motivation behind it, the messenger behind it. That's what makes it wrong in and of itself. So now we go to Matthew chapter 4. We continue on in this passage, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he had him stand up on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Some of you know that there are three temptations that are here. Each time Jesus is going to answer, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Matter of fact, right around Deuteronomy chapter 6. As someone said, I wonder, I read someone else said this, said, I wonder if Jesus' devotional thinking or reading had been on Deuteronomy that day as all of this is happening. When I'm thinking of verses to use to fight temptation, I like never go to Deuteronomy. I mean, that never even crosses my mind. But that's where Jesus is. So what the devil quotes is is Psalm 91. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Jesus is going to quote Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. The devil wants Jesus to doubt. That's what it appears. He at least wants to get him riled up, is what he's doing. And so at least, at least part of this is some kind of doubt he wants to put into his head. See there, I'll show you, devil. I'll show you what I can do. See there, I am the son of God. I can jump off of this, off of this temple. I can make bread, out of, uh, make bread out of rocks. I can do all of that. Whatever the devil's purpose is, we know his purpose is to destroy Jesus. 
destroy his credibility, bring Jesus down. If he can just get Jesus, then he can get every single man, woman, and child to ever walk on the planet. Get Jesus. And so he goes after him, and he tries to convince him to do this and wants him to doubt, wants him to question, wants him destroyed, wants him to fall. Well, this is what I know about doubt. Doubt can destroy us, too. Doubt can take us down just as much. To use it in a different little example for, for us this morning. So if you were to come up to me and say, hey, I like that shirt, I could think, what does that mean? Does that mean you like the shirt or does that mean you don't like the jacket? Is that what you're saying? Or did you not like the shirt I wore last week? Are you trying to tell me you don't like what I wore last week? I am so offended I'm going home. You know what I'm saying? And some of you say, I wish you'd go home right now, right? It's that idea. Sometimes we, we start doubting. Your boss says something to you and you doubt. Why did they tell me it was good? Years ago, I was speaking at an event and this well-known Bible professor was out there in the audience. There were several, actually. And I gave this talk. And after the talk, this Bible professor I had this great, great admiration for came to me and said, Thank you, David. I took notes on everything you said. We were in this hotel where I gave the speech. And I went back to the room. And I said to Barbara, I said, Wow, he told me. He took notes on everything I said. Can you believe that? And about two minutes later, I went, Why? Why did he do that? He's going to make fun of what I just said. Doubt creeps in, doesn't it? And doubt can even creep in in our relationship with God, and we can walk away from God because we quit trusting God, and it destroys us. Well, Jesus, in this passage, Jesus leaned on Scripture. So he comes and he says, you don't test God. And so he tells him, he tells him, What's right? Satan quotes God, but he quotes him out of context. That passage was about how God, that Israel was to call on God, but not to test God. And so here Jesus is, he's leaning on Scripture. Just because someone quotes Scripture does not mean they're telling you the truth. We'd like to think they are, but not necessarily. I quote scripture, do not trust me just because I quote it. Now I'm going to tell you as much as I know how, I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to be honest with it. But go and study your Bibles and make sure what I'm saying is the right thing. Don't take it just because I say it. And you know, sometimes it's so easy to not manipulate scripture because sometimes there are people, people on the outside and people on the inside that want me to have the same conclusion about a scripture that they have. But I can't lie, or I shouldn't lie, and say it says something it doesn't say. I've got to say this is what it says. And I've got to conform my life to that, because it's God's Word. And so what you see Jesus doing here is quoting Scripture the way it's to be quoted. Christianity is based on faith. Based on faith. Now, sometimes we need some proofs, and proofs are good, and proofs can 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 help folks, and there are a lot of great writers out there. Some of you have read like Evidence That Demands a Verdict, or you've read The Case for Christ, or some of those, and those can be extremely helpful. I have a friend, a matter of fact, who has a, has a, a, a doctorate in the philosophical proof of the existence of God from Oxford. 
I mean, that's about as high as you can get, right? And those things have its place. But in the end, this is about faith. This is about trusting God. I've used this illustration before. I didn't use it early because you're going to have to, I mean, you're going to have a three-minute longer sermon, okay? Sorry you come to early, you can get out faster. So here you go, everybody. Oh, no, next week, population will explode, right? Attendance at the next one. So way back when, when I was in school, I did a paper. I was in grad school on what is religion and got me into studying a lot of things on the side and different things. And so it was about what did people worship first? Did they worship the sun and the moon first? Did they worship bears first? You know, according to this cave drawing, that drawing. And and it was all over the place as I would read through this. Then I ran across someone that that, that wrote something that just kind of changed my life. And it all went back to Leviticus on how God told Israel to make their their altars. The altars were to be out of uncut stones, which meant don't carve on the stone where you have your, your sacrifice. Or make it out of a heap of dirt. Well, you know what happens when it rains? That dirt just goes back. Over time, it just goes right back, and you couldn't even tell there had been a heap there. And so you have that rock there, and it has no carvings on it, and you've had an animal, animals that would be sacrificed there. But because there are no carvings, eventually it rains and, and rains and rains, and then you have no record that anything ever happened there on that rock. Almost as if, And this wasn't like just happenstance what they did. This is what the Bible actually told them to do. This is what God said to do, and then it was written down. It's as if God was saying... I don't want you to prove me. I want you to have faith in me rather than prove me. And there are things that lead us toward proofs. I get that, and I love those things. But in the end, it is about faith. If I insist on on proof, I am not depending on faith. And so sometimes as I listen to the eggheads on the radio sometimes on different programs I listen to, and they'll talk about different things. Well, there's no proof. We need proof and proof. You're missing the point. You are completely misunderstanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are things that can lead us there, but in the end, it is based on faith. So now we continue on in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Another quote from Deuteronomy. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. What happened here is Satan just asked Jesus to sin. He asked him to sin. Follow me. Worship me. Let me tell you this. God will never ask you to do that. God is not asking you to sin. You know, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, you know, I got the scam and some of you got the letter, you know, that I was needing gift cards and and money and all those things. and, And we had this big announcement I will never ask you for money. I will take gift cards, but I will never ask you for gift cards, right? 
And you've seen that from companies and businesses and friends and everybody else, right? The same thing. We are not going to ask you for money that way because that's a scam. Do you know what the devil's trying to do to Jesus here? He's trying to scam Jesus. That is exactly what he's trying to do here. Because you realize that Jesus already owns the stuff, right? He already owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He already has all of that. Jesus became more forceful here with him and said, away from me. And Satan left for a while. And then he came back. You remember whenever Peter is talking to Jesus and Jesus said, I'm going to have to suffer. And Peter says, oh, Lord, I'll never let them do that to you. And you remember that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan, but he's calling this temptation to not go to the cross as satanic. He tempts, or things tempt us, and we deal with all kinds of things in our lives, right? You know what this is like, what Satan is doing here to Jesus? It'd be like if I went out in the parking lot here in just a little bit, and I said, you know, I've got, this, I've got this new Ford F-250 out here, brand new. I'm going to sell it to you today for $5,000. And I'd take some of you out there, you'd look at it, and I'd say, hey, look, this could be yours for, for $5,000. You know how much this thing would cost on a lot, but I am, I am giving you the deal of a lifetime right here. You just give me $5,000, you can drive home from it. I'll follow you home in your vehicle behind you. And you would, might say to me, That is the most absurd thing I have ever heard. I own this pickup already. You're trying to sell me my own truck, right? That's what Satan is trying to do, is sell Jesus something he already has. And he says, away from me. Get out of here, you bug. I mean, like a gnat, you know, all around. He said, just get out of here. And so Satan finally leaves and leaves him alone. You see, Jesus endured all of that and the rest of his life because he had faith and he had vision. I like the way the Hebrew writer put it in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3 where he says to us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners and the devil himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For years, I misunderstood this passage. Probably all of you are so much smarter than me, you had figured it out. I used to think somehow, and I would sit there in church and try to figure this out, somehow Jesus thought it was a joy to be on the cross. That is not true. He does not find that joyous. See what it says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross was awful. It was excruciating. It was terrible. But he knew what was on the other side. And because he knew what was on the other side, he could do it. Some of you may be getting ready, let's say, for for a daughter's wedding. And you know you have already bought the dress. And you are going to skip the the cheesecake and the brownies and everything else so that you you can look nice on that day in that dress, right? You know what I'm talking about. You can tell that I haven't done a very good job myself on things like that. But I don't have a daughter getting married. I don't have to worry. So, So on the other side, you say, that joy of that day to walk down that aisle, that is worth it. Jesus takes the cross 
because he knows the joy on the other side. And so what he says to us is, you have the vision because Jesus has paid the way. You have the vision. You have the faith. You follow Jesus through all of those things. Be his disciple, and you can make it too. You see, Jesus focused on the finish line rather than on the hurdles. If all I do is focus on the hurdles, I am going to trip over every one of them as I go down the line, and I will never make it to the finish line. Focus on the end. Focus on the joy set before us. So here's my question for us today, and it's, how am I holding up in my desert? How am I holding up? So some of you know of this man, Andrew Brunson. He was a missionary. I don't know what religious group he was a part of. He's been in the news in the last 10 years or so. He was a missionary in Turkey for 20 years. And that is a hard place to be a missionary. You know that it's, it's a Muslim country for, for 95% of folks. And obviously it would be a very difficult place to be. It's hard to believe that it is a country that is so Muslim when at one point it was considered the capital of Christianity at one point. But that's what it is today. And so Brunson worked there very quietly, and he worked and he helped the poor and he helped people in need, and he shared his belief in Jesus and, and the Bible and what he believed to be true. And in 2016, a new election happened, a new president came in that wanted, wanted uh, Turkey to become a more religious Islamic nation. And several people were arrested, including Brunson. And for a year, he was in prison without any charges, without anybody telling him any reason why he, why he was there. And it must have been a horrible time for his family and for his folks in the, in the United States, for, his, for the people he worked with. And after a year, they finally charged him. They said he was a spy for the United States. Well, that was silly. It wasn't true at all. But they charged him for that. And they even took him to trial. He thought he was going to be there for decade upon decade and literally rot in a Turkish prison. That's where he thought his life was headed. And so someone asked him later, they said, tell us, did, did you feel the presence of God when you were in prison? Did you just feel like God was wrapped around you and you were a martyr and God was with you when you went through all of that? Did you feel that way? He said, no, not at all. He said, I felt forsaken. He said, then we got to the trial, and the trial was worse. He said, I felt like God didn't care, and God didn't hear me, and God was far away. And he said, one night, I was in my cell, and I was just weeping. I was lying on my bed, just weeping and weeping, and asking God these questions. Why are you so far away? Why don't you listen? Why has this happened? I've given my life to people that are difficult to reach. Why? And he said, then I said something out loud that I did not know was going to come out of my mouth, and I couldn't even believe it was coming out of my mouth. He said, I said, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you when you don't answer. I still love you. I love you, Jesus. Even if I have to suffer for my belief in you, I love you, Jesus. And he said, and I remembered when the, the scripture that said, those who endure to the end will receive salvation. 
And he said, I committed to endure to the end for Jesus. Well, when you come on Sunday morning, a lot of us like to pretend that our deserts aren't really that bad, that somehow we've got a soda fountain out in the desert. But the truth is, some of us are really hurting today. Life has been really difficult. And for some, we don't even know why we're in the desert. We just are. And others of us, oh, I'm here because I'm trying, because I know there needs to be something better. Some of us are here because if I don't show up, somebody's going to call me. So here I am. Some of us are here just because we're looking for anything. We're in the desert, and we don't feel God's presence. We sing about the Lord of all creation, but it feels like the Lord of all creation is truly beyond a galaxy and not here. And we're in pain. Today, this is what I ask, what I beg. Do not give up. Endure. Keep going one foot after another. It is not wrong to admit the desert that you're in. It's okay. Admit the desert. Work on the desert, but also say to the Lord, even when I don't feel it, I will be faithful. I will keep going. Even when it hurts, I will follow you. And the day will come, it will come, when everything will be right. We may not see it in this world, I pray we do, but you may not see it in this world, but you will someday. But do not give up, endure, and you will be saved. Be faithful to Jesus. Some of us, maybe we are ready to walk the walk with Jesus right now. We are ready to be his disciple. I want to follow him right now. And be baptized into Jesus. Ten people in January baptized into Jesus here. That's beautiful. Other people baptized in February. That's wonderful. Maybe you're ready. Not only are our sins forgiven, and not only do we become a part of his kingdom and all those other important things that we talk about, but there's this other part of that verse where it says, it says and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive God with you when you're in isolation. Do you realize that? You will have God with you when you're in the middle of the desert. Wow, that's what I want. That's what I have, and that's what I want to keep. I want to be with Jesus forever. And maybe you're there to be baptized into him today. You can come forward here in a minute, or you can tell me in the foyer afterwards. You can tell somebody else. We want. We want to be in in Christ. We want all of our faith in him. Maybe you just need prayers today. Maybe the desert is really cold or really hot and you need help in the desert. You can come forward too or you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org and we will help each other through our deserts. Come this morning as we stand and sing.